Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. How much does your digital distraction cost? Dr. Christy Goodwin shares some incredible statistics. In fact, they are alarming statistics on digital well-being and how the cost of being distracted by those devices buzzing and binging and dinging and danging can not only take a toll on your brain power, but they also take a toll on the economy and our productivity. Dr. Christie gives some great tips to ensure that you are working to the best of your ability and strategies on how to make your schedule more flexible, yet still remaining available to your team and family members and other people you know when needed. But this is a topic that we need to learn a lot more about. There's a lot more research on digital well-being. And Dr. Christie is one of Australia's, in fact, she's one of the world's experts. So she provides some great tips. And every time we catch up with Dr. Christie, we go, oh, no, I'm breaking some of these habits or these tips as well. So it's always good to come back to listen, reset, and make sure we've got good habits supporting positive digital well-being. Christy, we've done some research on the stats for our 30-day boost program and studies have shown that during COVID, the average participant was spending two and a half hours a day accessing unrelated digital content. 40% of knowledge workers got less than 30 minutes of deep work per day. And this one blew my mind. 70% of emails were opened within six seconds of receipt and there was a 70% uptick in social media use. And this is something that you shared with us, which is that it takes up to 23 minutes and 15 seconds to refer focus your attention when you get distracted. Christy, what is happening and why are we so distracted by our digital devices? I think there's three things happening. I think the reason we have become so distracted, I'm cautious against saying we're addicted. I think, you know, the word addiction is a very medically loaded word. I'm not for a moment suggesting that many of us aren't digitally obsessed or we have some unhealthy digital habits and behaviours. We are tethered to technology and I certainly think many of us would acknowledge that we have some unhealthy digital dependencies. Why? I think there's three big reasons why, and I'm happy to explore them in more detail. The first one is where we can abdicate some of our responsibility and we can start to blame the tech companies. We start to say that technology has been designed to be addictive and appealing. If you haven't watched The Social Dilemma um, and it's now freely available on YouTube, I would strongly encourage you to have a look at that. They talk about some of the persuasive design techniques that lure us in. One technique that's very well known is something called intermittent variable rewards. So if you knew that every 48 minutes and 15 seconds, there'd be an interesting Teams chat, you wouldn't go in and keep checking your Teams chats. Equally, if your inbox, if you knew at a predictable ratio when you'd get a a good email or an, an email that rewarded you or praised you, we wouldn't go in and habitually check. But it's that intermittent reward ratio much like poker machines. You never know when you're going to win and score big. Really down to granular things like the notification bubble. For most of us, the notification bubble is red and red is a psychological trigger for urgency and importance. The fact that our notification bubble has a number in it, a metric declaring how many unread Teams chats or emails that we have. So that is the first reason. I think there are some very persuasive design techniques that tech companies, including the workplace technologies, we're all now reliant on. The second reason that I think we have some unhealthy digital dependencies is because 
our technologies, particularly more so our leisure technologies, have been designed to meet our most basic psychological needs. This is what I call or what is referred to in the literature as self-determination theory. And self-determination theory says as humans, we have three basic psychological drivers. We're wired to connect, we want to feel competent, and we want to feel like we're in control. The online world has tapped into those needs. You know, that that desire to connect is why social media has become so prevalent, why we all have a love-hate relationship with email and Teams chats and Slack. We are wired to connect. Um, we are wired to feel competent. So we want to plow through the emails in our inboxes and we want to feel like we have some autonomy, some control. So that's the second reason. The third reason that I think we are digitally dependent is because when we are online, there are neurobiological changes when especially when we're doing something pleasurable be that scrolling social media checking cricket scores reading something that's entertaining our brain releases dopamine now dopamine not only is a neurotransmitter that makes us crave more and more of whatever made us feel good the problem also is that dopamine actually overrides and floods our prefrontal cortex. So the part of the brain that, that manages, that, that self-regulates our behavior, that says, you know, 15 minutes on LinkedIn is enough, put it away and go back and do your deep work. You know, stop triaging your inbox and get back to the, the, the data analysis that you really should be doing. When you're doing something pleasurable, that part of your brain cannot regulate what you are doing. So there are a whole lot of things I think that are happening. I think it's the collision of those three things. The tech's being designed in a way to lure us in. It meets our psychological needs and it causes those neurobiological changes. Christine, now speaking of the cost of that on our output, we when I when we walk around offices, we s often see there are employees, especially the younger ones, Andrew, when they're sitting in front of their laptop. No worries, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> the younger ones, look at you. <laughs> I'm in mean the older generation, okay? Uh, but we we'd see them in front of the laptops, and their their mobile phone is sitting in between their hands as they're typing, and that you talked about multitasking and being distracted. I do wonder, what is this costing us in terms of, or what is this costing companies in terms of productivity and lost time? So I'm going to answer the second part of your question, but I want to talk about just the mere presence. A study has actually quantified this. So if our phone is in our line of sight when we're working, let's face it, that's how many of us operate, even if it is on silent and even if the phone is face down, if your phone is in your line of sight, it has around 10% impact on your cognitive <laughs> performance. I say to people when I'm working with them, put simply, seeing your phone makes you 10% dumber. It literally is a brain drain. That's fascinating, making it 10%. I, I get it because even when you're going off notes, and I, you know, most of my notes for a podcast are on paper, so I don't get distracted. But you think you're reading on your notes section on your iPhone and then a message comes up, you get a text from your mum, your partner, a kid. I totally get it. It distracts you. I'm never having a digital device in the studio again, Ange. Um, really important that we, where we can, you know, really pragmatic things, not for the whole day, but when you know you've got to get some deep focused work done, put your phone somewhere where you cannot see it and also hear it. In terms of what it's costing organisations, this may scare you. And I need to point out this is US data because I don't think anyone in Australia has been brave enough to quantify what it would be here. But the economy, uh, sorry, the economic intelligence unit actually quantified what distractions were costing US organisations. And they found, are you ready, that the average knowledge worker lost 581 hours per year due to distractions. 
that equated to being about 28% of their working week. And in terms of income costs, that cost an organisation around $34,448 per employee, which equates to $1.2 trillion in lost output. Wow, that's incredible. It's scary, you, isn't it? <laughs> can you imagine if we didn't have the, the these distractions, how much more productive economies will be? But because of all of this, we're losing hundreds if not thousands of hours of, of man I'm time. I'm going to give a balanced argument. Uh, first of all, I'm not surprised at that number, 581 hours. Like you, Christy, I get invited to play companies. So last week I played banking and I played councils and this week I'm playing consulting. And when you go in and do a consulting, not a consulting, when you go into a keynote or a presentation, you know, throughout the year I might go and play 50 different companies in different industries. So you get a real window into what's happening. Mm -hmm. So Angie, I see this all the time at conferences. In fact, I say to organisers, if we're doing a conference experience, can you, because I, I, the guy that gets crucified, but can you get the MC to say, can everyone turn their mobiles onto silent? One, two, we'll create a parking lot and we put them in the middle of the table. Uh, they can still see them, Christy, so I know they're 10% dumber, but that's better than being 50 or 60% dumber. <laughs> and you see the anxiety go up and I have a bit of fun with it. The amount of times I've had people come back and go, oh yeah, I wasn't on my phone for that hour when you spoke and actually learned something. People don't really talk like that. <laughs> but I've had that multiple times. But where I want to give a counterbalance, Angie, in what you said, yes, it's causing us lost productivity money, but technology is also allowing us to absolutely ramp up and scale up. So I look at our business. We have a meeting at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning, and we have five of us in the room. Sean, who's our head of tech, is at his home office. Harry's at his home office. Dr. Tom is normally at Sydney University. And Angeline is in the Philippines as our outsource doer. So this is where I try and get the seesaw, okay? Because the way that I work, the way we work now, is so different, even to what it was three years ago. COVID's been a blessing in disguise. Christy, you know this because we're working together on the NAB Business Fit program. And at Stride Stronger, we lost 90% of revenue. We've got a totally different business now, totally different. We are doing global programs. And we're off to Canberra tomorrow doing work with defence around Australia, doing podcasts, private podcasts, doing digital resources, all this stuff we had to do because the old business model, Dr. Christie, and I know you don't like being called Dr. Christie, but you are, so I'm going to celebrate it. It was just live events. It's archaic. So that's where I try and find that balance right between accelerating the business and for us to hit our goals and we have to digitize but the flip side of that is yeah how do you get this balance and I don't know how to get it sometimes yeah and I agree I think technology has offered us a you know a range of benefits and I think we're at a really exciting juncture I know there's so much conversation around new ways of working I think the biggest silver lining for knowledge workers is uh, there's a lot of talk around flexible work arrangements. I think that is important. I think the conversation and the dialogue should be shifting towards productive work arrangements. What does it look like for you to be productive? And I often talk about, you know, in an organisational perspective, this is flexibility within a, a, like a framework within some constraints. But we know um, Future Forum recently published some data saying that 95% of knowledge workers are demanding schedule flexibility. They want flexibility around when they work. This is the silver lining of the pandemic for knowledge workers. If we're no longer constrained to the nine to five workday in the office, 
Can you start to structure your day so you do your most productive work when you are biologically most focused and alert? You know, very few of us ever really were most productive and alert between nine and five. We all had different peaks and troughs. So now we've got the opportunity to redefine when work gets done, also where work gets done in terms of location. But I think that's a huge opportunity. And that's where we can start to say, if you're most productive in the morning, if you're the early bird, then that's when you have to build a fortress around your focus. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com and we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence. Performance Intelligence.